13. Envy. I take no pleasure in citing the following fact. It comes from the work of a man born in 1845 and familiar with the early days of American California. The Digger Indians in the Sacramento Valley were a very filthy lot. They would eat anything, even spoiled meat. The way they caught grasshoppers and ate them would turn the stomach of anyone. When grasshoppers were plentiful, they would dig a hole about six feet deep, and then they would all get brush and form a large circle and drive the hoppers towards the hole. And when they were in, one of the Indians would jump in with his bare feet and go to stomping, and it would be a mush mess. The Indians would then eat them raw, and they would sack them up and take them to camp for winter use mixing them with acorn flour, which was made by pounding acorns in a stone mortar. The soup was boiled in watertight baskets by putting hot rocks in the baskets, and it is surprising how soon they would have the water boiling. Footnote 1. Sam Moak, The Last of the Mill Creeks and Early Life in Northern California. Chico, C.A., N.P., 1923. 12. Similar accounts could be made of other tribes, and, in fact, of the pre-Christian inhabitants of Europe and other continents. Such accounts are not popular with most people, Having said this, I must add that I always felt that the Indians I knew had a very high order of intelligence. Some had no curiosity about anything outside their routine life, but others had a great deal of interest in ideas and in life among other peoples. Since I went to the Indian reservation with three to four years missionary experience as a youth working in San Francisco's Chinatown, there were many Indians who were interested in things relating to the Chinese. When the Transcontinental Railroad was built, some Chinese, quote, coolies, unquote, fled the work gangs and joined the Indians. The Indians told me this, but only one admitted to Chinese ancestry. White ancestry was readily acknowledged. To survive in a wilderness with the Indians' limited weapons and tools was very difficult. Starvation was a common problem. As a result, the Indians ate whatever they could get. Some tribes practiced cannibalism. All the same, they were very intelligent people except where inbreeding exacted its toll. In a sense, Darwinism had its social implication among Indians. The fittest survived, and the weaklings died. Why then were they on such a low level culturally? Of course, culture is religion externalized, but we must here be more specific. All over the world, envy has taken a fearful toll. Our current politics is destroying our civilization by institutionalizing envy. The Indian could not advance very far because envy was so important in his life. Like so many other people, he resented the fellow tribesmen who excelled. A man who was the target of envy could be driven to suicide. Up to a point, excellence in battle or in hunting was respected, but to excel in accumulating possessions was not. Both Indians and white apologists told me that Indian communalism made them indifferent to the idea of property ownership. If an Indian made this claim, another Indian said it was because he was a thief. There was indeed disrespect for private property because of envy and resentment of the superiority of others. Among a number of tribes in the Intermountain area and the southeast, there were Mexican men who had settled among the Indians, often for love of an Indian girl. These men usually rose very quickly, excelling as sheepmen, cattlemen, shopkeepers, or farmers. Indians saw a kinship between themselves and Mexicans, and resented the Mexican as someone who should be part of the tribe and yet insisted on being materially better. The Christian Indians were resented, because they clearly excelled. First of all, they had, in effect, become white men by becoming Christian. Indians tended to see religion as a racial fact, and they viewed conversion as a defection from the tribe. Second, the life of the Christian Indian changed dramatically in every sphere, in morality, economics, and more. It is a common belief that race determines character, so that men are judged as whites, blacks, Indians, or Asians. The early church, made up of Jews, Greeks, Romans, and others, 
called itself, quote, the third race, unquote, as against the old divisions, i.e. Jew and Gentile, Greek and Barbarian, Roman and non-Roman, Christians saw themselves as the third race, inclusive of all converts. They saw themselves as a race because they were Christ's new humanity, replacing the old humanity born of Adam. There is no mistaking the difference Christ has made among Indians. The Christian Indians left one way of life for another. Third, however much the Indian convert loved his tribe and heritage, he was closer to Christ and the church in his allegiance than to the tribe. In some respects, the Christian Indian more appreciated the good in his tribal past and was more aware of its history. The non-Christians were past-oriented, whereas conversion, plus a knowledge of the Bible, gave the Christian Indian a richer past orientation, namely, an historical perspective. He saw history as having a beginning and an end, but no such progression existed for the non-Christian. Even the few who had some college education could not attain a vision beyond a belief in victimhood the value of native artifacts, or some other similarly limited view. Fourth, the perspective of the Christian Indian has encouraged, since the colonial era, a steady number of Indians to leave their tribes, now self-consciously alien to them, and to merge with the white population. Most Americans with a long history on the continent have some Indian blood, a process that is continuing. Most American Indians have voluntarily disappeared into the white population, those left on the reservation reject the competitive life off the reservation, although some remain out of love for their place and people. Fifth, racial commingling has accentuated the evil of envy. An, quote, Indian, unquote, whose Indian blood is very limited, demands all kinds of reparations for the ostensible wrongs done to his ancestors by the white man. Since a large number of today's Americans are, like me, of immigrant stock, my parents arriving in late 1915, and had no part in any of the real or imagined evils done to Indians generations ago. I recall Indian stories of tribal warfare and the extermination of great numbers of an enemy tribe to seize its members' things and take over its hunting grounds. One very old Indian told me the stories related by his grandfather of the new power gained by the possession of horses. As each tribe gained mounts, it was able to overwhelm and shatter its enemies. The coming of the horse radically altered the internal life of tribes as well as their warfare, and horse-stealing became a way of survival. Given the premise of modern Indian lawsuits, members of some barely-survived tribes could argue, theoretically, that their near-destruction by steed-mounted rivals is ground for claims against the U.S. government for genocide reparations. This problem, however, is simply a minor part of a vastly greater one, the politicization and institutionalization of envy in modern American life. Without a moral and religious change inspired by Christianity, there is nothing to prevent white America from descending to a level lower than that of the Digger Indians and their pit of grasshoppers.